we are predicting that the Arctic is going to be the next hotspot for fisheries conflict that has to do with climate change. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Climate change is impacting the migratory patterns of fish around the world. And in some cases, the changing location of fish stocks is heightening the risk of armed conflict. My guest today, Johan Bergenas, is Senior Vice President for Oceans at the World Wildlife Fund. Late last year, the World Wildlife Fund launched a platform called Ocean's Future to collect data on climate change and fisheries models to provide early warning of potential hotspots where fisheries might cause conflict. Indeed, there has been a surge in conflict over fish over the last 40 years, And this model seeks to help policymakers understand where such conflict might erupt and how to prevent the outbreak of fighting over fish. I met Johan Bergenas at the Halifax International Security Forum in November, and when he told me about this Ocean's Futures project, I knew it would be something that my Global Dispatches podcast audience would be interested in learning more about, and I'm glad to bring you this conversation today. I just think it's a really interesting way of looking at the intersection of climate change, conflict, and resource competition. So here is my conversation with Johan Bergenas of the World Wildlife Fund. So, Johan, your research shows that there's been a real sharp increase over the last 40 years of international conflict over fish. Uh, Can you share some of the more notable examples in which competition for fish has led to international armed conflict? You're right, Mark, that we've seen about a 20-fold increase of fisheries conflict in the last number of decades. It is one of these issues that kind of flies under the radar a whole lot either because there are bigger and more immediate topics and crises that the world is dealing with, or fish in many regards seems kind of silly as a conflict commodity. But my favorite data point of all time is that 25% of all military conflicts between democracies during the Cold War 
was actually over fisheries. That is just a testament that very little is new in this world and the world countries and communities and people tend to fight over things that matters the most and fish which is food it's one of them so we've looked at a pretty negative trajectory here in terms of fisheries conflict over the last number of decades really so what's one of those conflicts between democracies during the cold war that was over fish well so we have famous examples like the Cod Wars up in the Northern Atlantic. We also have a tremendous amount of military engagements over fish in the Gulf of Guinea, the Horn of Africa, South China Sea, part of the South Pacific. And we are seeing an escalation in pretty much all of those regions. And we are predicting that the Arctic is going to be the next hotspot for fisheries conflict that has to do with climate change. So I do want to spend actually most of our conversation getting there and talking about the intersection between conflict over fisheries and climate change and where those new hotspots will be. But I'm, I'm sort of interested in learning a bit more just about how the dynamic of conflict and fish works. You mentioned something called the Cod Wars. How did conflict over cod presumably lead to outright war? It was a dynamic uh, a couple of decades ago where some European countries were recognizing that cod in and around Iceland was increasingly important to economies in Europe and elsewhere and to livelihoods and for food security for you know NATO allies. And military vessels were sent out to essentially protect the fisheries sector, fishing vessels, the fisheries sector. And it was one of those moments where the NATO alliance really was challenged as a result of countries within it being willing to fight over something that was really important to them, fish, food, livelihoods, strategic commodities. And so we are seeing you know, a similar but less escalatory environment right now between European and UK based fishermen in the English Canal and in other places in and around the Nordic Atlantic where fish is a real valuable commodity. And those are just engagements between democracies. If you add non-democratic states engaging in military engagements over fish, that number increases significantly. And the biggest culprits in the non-democratic environment is China and Russia. And why is this such a prevalent conflict issue? And the fact is that it's about food. And it is a combination of growing global population with declining fish stocks and fish that is moving as a result of climate change. So small and big, rich and poor countries are looking at an environment now where some of the things that they've been relying on for hundreds, if not thousands of years, the finite nature of fish, it's becoming a real issue for stability and the health of their countries and their citizens. Have there been examples in recent history of where conflict and competition over fish has led to armed conflict, shots fired, deaths result, and major international incidents? Well, absolutely. The most specific example, which I think is a dangerous trajectory, is the Horn of Africa where we have seen hundreds of deaths as a result of community and country conflict 
overfisheries, and you know not only the declining nature of fish stocks, but the escalatory nature of competition over this commodity and piracy and other maritime security issues in that part of the world not so long ago became a real topic of concern for NATO, for the combined maritime forces and other militaries and security communities to make sure that the free flow and the secure flow of goods and services throughout that important region functioned accordingly. So that's one part of the world. The other part of the world that we are seeing increased geopolitical tension and where fishing vessels in the last couple of years have actually gone up against military vessels, including the United States Coast Guard vessel, seeking to basically engage them. Where was that? Just outside of Ecuador, uh, a Chinese squid fleet or a squid vessel exhibited very hostile behavior vis-a-vis a U.S. Coast Guard vessel. And, you know, this is the type of hybrid warfare that we should be, unfortunately, get used to. And then, of course, we have the South China Sea, where Vietnam, the Philippines, Indonesia uh, are complaining correctly about Chinese distant water fishing fleets going out into the South China Sea and beyond and basically claiming territories with their fishing fleet and then using their Navy and the Coast Guard to protect those vessels. And we think that when the U.S. military has to send dual aircraft carrier into the region, which they did a couple of years ago to demonstrate not only the right of access, but to make sure that they were supporting the right to certain natural resources for our friends and allies in that region. That's a real problem. And and I'm worried that the South China Sea and the competition over those natural resources is a prelude to what will happen in the Western Pacific, in the Arctic, in Eastern Pacific, and in and around Africa. So your Ocean's Future project analyzes the impact of climate change and fish migration and the potential for conflict. So can you just, broadly speaking, explain the dynamics between climate change and fish migration? I mean, presumably it's something along the lines of as oceans change temperature as they get warmer, fish move from one place to another, causing winners and losers. You know, when you and I met in Halifax a few weeks ago, you know, we ate great lobster and presumably, you know, Maine and or the United States and Nova Scotia won't go to war over the fact that like Maine lobsters might migrate to Nova Scotia, but that might not be the same in other parts of the world. So can you just kind of explain that broad dynamic? Yeah. Whether a country or a community will escalate this to violence will obviously depend on the level of desperation. But you're right. It's unlikely in the near future that the United States will go to war with Canada over lobster. But here's the deal. In eight years, one in four fish will go from one exclusive economic zone to another. This commodity, especially in the global south, is a commodity that people depend on for having a functioning economy, especially in the coastal community. And I use the example if oil or gas, for example, in the 20th century, would get legs and start to move from Texas to Mexico, from Saudi Arabia to the UAE, you know, from Turkey to Greece, you know, you pick your migration. That would be a topic 
that countries likely would be willing to go to war over because of the significant importance of certain natural resources and their importance to their economy. And so this is one of these topics that we are not paying attention to enough. And what we're going to see over the next 5, 10, 15 years is exactly what you're saying. We're going to be fish winners and fish losers. And that's going to mean that there's going to be food winners and food losers. And when it comes to the elemental stuff like that, people are going to do whatever they can to lay claim and access this uh, important part of their countries or their community's future. So where in the world do you suspect or do your models potentially predict that fish winners and fish losers has a higher potential to lead to international armed conflict? We have looked at climate science that you mentioned before. We looked at oceans and fisheries migration science, and we looked at conflict prevalence science. And we found in this first version of Ocean Futures that integrated existing data, hotspots from certain part of the eastern tropical Pacific, certain parts of the Gulf of Guinea, certain parts of the Western Pacific and the Arctic. And we usually say that you don't have to be a rocket scientist or any scientist, frankly, to understand that there's going to be future conflict potentially in the South China Sea. It's pretty well documented. But we also found really interesting analysis in the Eastern Mediterranean, the ocean of great empires for thousands of years. And we were surprised, but when you think about it, you have growing population in the southern part of the Mediterranean and Africa. You have to the eastern part of the Mediterranean, the gateway to Asia, you have Europe, and there's going to be competition for this valuable resource in this part of the world. And so that's an area we, we were surprised to see, but that we need to keep an eye on. What's the specific fish that everyone is after that's competing over? It depends where you are. So pretty much in the Pacific, it's the tuna, which is a you know, highly migratory species and that is moving north and west. You know, up in the Arctic, we're looking at pollock. And in other parts of the world, it's cod. You know, in Eastern Tropical Pacific, it's squid or mahi-mahi. So it's the big export-focused commodities, but that also has a local and regional dependency. And it's a scary development. But the reason to why we did this was because we felt very strongly that we need to get away from being defensive and reactive to environmental peace and security issues. And by putting this first cut into a platform and starting to work on new data that we are currently developing, we are hoping that it will serve as an early warning. It will serve as a trigger for policy change, for more resources, and for the international security community to pay greater attention to this issue because they have the most amount of resources. But at the end of the day, this problem can actually be solved by good old conservation and solid natural resource management. And my organization and our peers have the tools and the time to actually fix this problem if we can unlock financing at scale. So I, I do want to ask you about how to prevent these conflicts from erupting in the first place. But before we get there, you know, you've mentioned the Arctic a couple of times now. What are the conflict dynamics that your research suggests may be prevalent in the future in the Arctic? 
I mean, presumably this might include conflict between Russia and North Atlantic countries like Canada, the United States, and the Scandinavian countries. Absolutely. So there's a couple of components here. So geopolitically, the Arctic is a place where great powers and even superpowers will clash potentially over a wide variety of resources, fish being one of them. But there are also other opportunities to pursue as ice are melting as a result of climate change, as new sea routes are opening up. And there has been some policy and frameworks put into place. There's a 10-year moratorium in the Central Arctic Ocean that says that we shouldn't be fishing there. Whether that is being honored remains to be seen. But the combination of geopolitical dynamic, geography full of resources, and countries like China, you know, calling themselves a near Arctic power, indicates that there will be an increasing presence up there. The second piece is, of course, that we are seeing conflict erupting over fish in other parts of the world where they are more easily accessible. And I don't see a reason to why it shouldn't happen in a fish rich environment like the Arctic. And and there's still time to manage that, but that is a very, very dangerous dynamic because we do not want hungry and resource pursuing states clash in such an environment without good rules of the road. So whereas the Arctic is where wealthier Northern countries to superpowers or at least two nuclear armed powers, I should say, meet and may have some clashes in the future. You've also mentioned the Gulf of Guinea a couple of times, which is off the coast of Africa. Nigeria is the dominant power in the Gulf of Guinea. What are some of the conflict dynamics around fisheries in the Gulf of Guinea that your research suggests may become more pronounced in the future? You know, European countries have been taking advantage of fish-rich grounds in Western Africa and the Gulf of Guinea for decades. What we're seeing right now is an increase in Chinese distant water fishing fleets being over there. And the importance to these countries of this commodity is incredibly important. And, you know, having a vast foreign powers scooping up their livelihood and their food, it's going to have some very negative consequences to their societies and the instability and stability of these societies. And how does that impact some of the other parts of the world that should keep an eye on this? Well, you know, we have 65 million people on the run today, essentially trying to get away from food insecurity, job insecurity, and conflict. Well, those are three things that will happen to the Gulf of Guinea and the broader West African subcontinent if we don't get sustainability as part of the fisheries dynamic in that part of the world. And historically, you know, these African countries and their people have migrated north to Europe. And obviously, you know, migration of that nature, you know, is a national security threat and a human security disaster at the same time, both for Europe and for African countries. So that is some of the dynamic that we are seeing in addition to just local communities you know, fighting over specific and smaller fishing grounds. So, you know, conflict over fish is not inevitable. There are things that can be done to mitigate the potential of the outbreak of armed conflict over competition for fish. What are some 
priorities of the international community ought to be focusing on right now to prevent conflict in the future over fish? I think there are three co-equal solution sets here. Number one, we need to understand how the future looks like. And that's the central premise of Ocean's Futures. We need to deliver early warning, predictive analytics that pinpoint specific regions where we make smart investments in trying to prevent conflict, building economic sustainability, while protecting nature that has all sorts of positive benefits, both to climate and to people. And that's what Ocean Futures does. But number two, you know, we actually have in the environmental and the natural security community a pretty robust set of solutions that if scaled and adequately resourced can help solve this. And so under the broader umbrella of anti-illegal fishing measures, we find maritime domain awareness, understanding where things are in the ocean so you can create deterrence or increase capacity you know, deploy technology and making sure that you protect what is yours, you know, as a nation. And so there are plenty of laws on the books around the world that does that, but we are lacking the funds. So the first thing we should do very specifically is that there was this great law um, from 2019 that was passed. It's called the Maritime Safe Law. And it's basically a law that says that Illegal fishing is a national security challenge in addition to food security and conservation, and we should do better with the U.S. government's tools to combat it. It hasn't been funded. So the first thing is fund the laws that are on the books. Secondly, provide authorities to organizations who are not yet working on this issue so they can do it. So the Department of Defense, they have nine areas where they are allowed by law to build capacity, you know, everything from force projection to drug trafficking, nuclear weapons, terrorism, et cetera, et cetera, add illegal fishing to that mission set and we will have more capacity. And then you can become more tactical. The Navy and the Coast Guard, they have a ship riding agreement where the Coast Guard can use Navy vessels, et cetera, et cetera. We can expand that globally, you know, beyond the Pacific theater. And then equally important, the conservation community have an amazing set of environmental tools, climate smart fisheries, protection and nurturing of spawning grounds and protection of critical habitats that can replenish fish that has been lost to overfishing. And so there's an entire environmental portfolio here that if put on fire can really help solve these problems. So, you know, deter, fund and build programming, environmental and otherwise, to get to the left of this issue. Lastly, you know, is there any other point you'd want to emphasize about this issue or a question I didn't ask that you think ought to be addressed? I think it's a huge opportunity for the private sector here and for public-private sector partnership. Not so long ago, there was a uh, real change in how diamonds were sourced and managed. And there was a famous movie called Blood Diamond, I believe, that Leonardo DiCaprio, one of WWF's board members, was starring in. And this is a similar issue where the private sector can do much, much more to source their commodity in a conflict-free way, which means that they have to pay attention to where they source, 
how they source, when they source, to ensure the sustainability of their core business, that there's gonna be fish in the water for the long term, but also that they are not going to be a driver of elevated instability and suffering in and around the world. So why not make fish a strategic commodity for the United States and other countries? And why not have you know, the president of the United States engage with some of the largest seafood companies and chart a new path of sustainability in the seafood sector that reduce conflict, human rights violation, and other issues. Johan, thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening to Global Dispatches. The show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg. It is edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to follow the show and enable automatic downloads to get new episodes as soon as they're released. On Spotify, tap the bell icon to get a notification when we publish new episodes. And of course, please visit globaldispatches.org to get on our free mailing list, get in touch with me, and access our full archive. Thank you.